nobody wants to have dinner with you after you've buried the bodies on the way to to the restaurant you know i mean that's kind of that you just don't really it's hard to make friends and it's definitely even harder than that to get laid (laughs) there's a lot of good audio clips that i could like (laughs) snip from this that people would be like what is this episode about what is she talking about it's impossible to get laid in an animal shelter fact okay i'm can i i'm gonna clip that for you can quote me on that okay (laughs) It's okay. true. People can email me. I'll explain why. All right, everyone. We took a little break and now we're back with a very exciting guest. Her name is Kat Best. Is that right? Yeah. Is that right? It's perfect. Okay, I'll let, I might edit that out. Besh. Besh yeah, Cat yes. Besh or okay. Catherine, whatever. Cat is easier. Okay, I'm here with yeah. Catherine Besh. Oh my god. I'm oh, with, that was good. I'm here with Catherine Besh. Friends call her Cat, and she's the founder and CEO of Vietnam Animal Aid and Rescue, a 501c3 nonprofit operating in Vietnam since 2003. We are so excited to have her on the pod because she's our first CEO that works out of a different country, but is currently traveling all around. So welcome to the show, Kat. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So before we jump in, well, first of all, can you just tell us a little bit about what your organization does and then what inspired you to start it? Uh, so we are a, we are a vegan animal rights organization in Vietnam working with a rescue shelter a farm sanctuary, the only farm sanctuary in the country, promoting um, promoting veterinary projects, veterinary training, veterinary capacity building, masterialization. Basically, we're really kind of focused on long-term, culturally, politically, and socially appropriate interventions for ending animal suffering. That's kind of the short answer. It's a bit more complicated than that. I mean, that's a pretty complicated like that's a pretty complex it's a big elevator i'm not gonna lie yeah yeah so you're not just helping um like kittens and puppies you're helping no, all types of animals very very much not yeah i mean i think people have the impression that like what they see of a vietnam travel brochure is my life i i, I think people have a tendency <laughs> to think that i roll around uh, with kittens on beaches sipping mimosas all day and it, it's quite um that sounds fun. I get that. But it's so far from my reality. I mean, our job basically is to watch preventable suffering and death and put up with a lot more crap than most people understand. Um, I have more in common with an ambulance driver in Damascus, Syria, than I do with a rescue shelter in North Carolina or California. It's not the same. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So as y'all can hear, this is going to be an intense and real conversation. <laughs> so that's good. We need people to know the truth. So you are advocating for animal welfare or animal well? rights. Yeah. Animal These rights. are two very distinct things. Okay. Um, please tell us the difference. Cause I, this is super important. Okay. Listen up yeah. y'all. Don't make listen up y'all. 
Yeah, so basically animal welfare is kind of the idea that we can continue to exploit animals, but if we do it nicely, that's fine. Whereas animal rights is talking about the abolition of the use of animals because inherent in every system in which animals are used, there is exploitation and abuse as they are used as human property. So we work towards getting people to stop using them basically. And that goes for clothing and food, obviously, research and entertainment. So things like against horse racing, whereas somebody who was an animal welfareist would not be against horse racing. They'd want to make horse racing nicer. Or they want to make the leather industry nicer, which is a bit of a joke and makes me want to scream or make um, murdering animals nicer. And we don't get that. That's weird. Yeah, I agree. And so pointless. what made you or what inspired you to start the organization in Vietnam? Coffee, I would say, um, quite honestly. Yeah, I mean, I would say that um, most people who know me well would say that she's just batshit insane and she drinks too much coffee and loves animals. And I think that would be like the root of it. Um, if anybody has had Vietnamese coffee, they'll understand what I'm talking about. Not the kind you get in America, but like in Vietnam, where you kind of feel like you're like on a meth trip for a week. Like it's just like you can't like do anything other than like have all these brilliant ideas. One of my brilliant ideas was to help all the animals that I saw um, that were be just, just really simple things. A lot of it was not, I had no idea what I was getting into, okay? I had no idea how far this would go. I knew that I have a background uh, working with horses specifically. I used to live in uh, Fauquier County in Virginia and Middleburg. I used to train horses and manage stables and uh, work with veterinarians and things. And I thought I could do this. I was kind of wrong um, and it got it got out of hand, but, um, but I'm glad I, I'm glad I took that train, you know, I'm glad, I'm glad I've taken it through the horrors that I have seen and it's developed into what it is, which is a very long-term focused, um, very, very, very different from an American rescue concept. And how many employees do you currently have working there at the shelter? At the moment, we only have four. Um, we are quite low on staff right now at borders are closed. So I left to go do fundraising in the UK in March of 2020 because clearly I'm awful at predicting future. So the week that I got out of the country, they closed the doors behind me. How sweet of them. My home for nine years, I can't go home. Wow. So um, getting staff in, particularly international staff that are experienced in animal care, um, facility management, vet nurses, vet techs in the United States, we call them, or veterinarians. Yeah, that's impossible. You can't get in. So our staff is super, super low at the moment. And it's extremely frustrating. My gosh. But so, of the many things that are frustrating to deal with in Vietnam, but it is and what it is. Why did you originally go to Vietnam? And then I, I'm not going to focus solely on your organization because I do want to just talk about your experience in the nonprofit sure. sector. So yeah, so I ended up in Vietnam sort of accidentally. I am um, I was living in Mongolia the year before and I, it was cold, frankly, and um, it's the coldest capital city in the world. And I was quite tired oh. of um, freezing my little nose off and being in a deeply or horribly polluted place and violent and whatever. I just wanted to be around friendly 
people and beaches and I wanted to wear a bikini and flip-flops and write. I was a freelance writer doing my master's degree online in emergency and disaster management and I just sort of rocked on up to Vietnam. My parents have actually lived there. I should point out I am a legacy. I My dad was a marine officer who was shot in Vietnam 1967 and then my he came back as CIA with my mom as newlyweds in 1971 to 73. So my reason for being there was really to kind of show my parents before they died what what had become of their home. Oh wow. Vietnam has been very special to my parents. There, you know, all my life, I, we, my dad's an expert in, in Asian ceramics and took a ton oh of things gosh. home from Vietnam, um, beautiful art and the food, you know, I've been eating, I've been eating Vietnamese food since I could, you know, chew. Um, <laughs> it's always been a part of my life. Mm-hmm. I knew I had to slip in there at some point and you know, I got divorced in the coldest capital city in the world. And I really thought now was the time, yes. but I didn't expect to stay. And did your parents get to visit you? And no, (laughs) no, sadly, they never came. And in fact, they're really not at all supportive of the organization. Um, It's not. Yeah, I mean, it's just very difficult for them to conceive of how different things are. Yeah. um, And what I do. My dad was paid by the United States government to kill people or find a better way to kill people, different jobs, in a country that is my home. And this is my family. This is my country now. And for better or worse, that's my, that's my place. And, um, and I save animals there. Mm-hmm. And, and it's very difficult for them to see the value in that, particularly because it doesn't make me enough money to survive. <laughs> Until they listen to this podcast, when they're going to be yeah. like, "Oh my uh, gosh, I get it!" Oh right, I wish. <laughs> well, okay, so you started the nonprofit in Vietnam, yeah, and so you had to. Le- I mean, I know it's really super difficult to even start a nonprofit here in the state. So, like, how difficult was it in Vietnam? Are you fluent in Vietnamese? And were you? Oh, my Vietnamese is rubbish. It's, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it's it's. I, I know how to get around the world. I know how to eat and buy things and count in probably 15 languages. But like my Vietnamese continues to be very difficult for, for other people to understand. I have never stopped trying. I, I am bound and determined to be fluent in that, in that language. Um, but, it, but it is hard. So starting a nonprofit there as an American with no Vietnamese skills at the time, um, yeah, admittedly, that was a challenge. Um, yeah, but like coffee or whatever, yeah, you know, I was fine. Of course. So it's crazy. And um, and so I kind of, um, I don't know, the organization was not a 501c3 until four years ago. So, sorry, three? Three years ago? Something like that. I think it was three years ago we finally got our 501c3 because it cost us $7,000 to get it. We had to hire a lawyer. That's more than my yearly salary. So it's not a small amount of money. No. Um, so, so yeah, it was difficult and we operated illegally for a long time. Um, then we had to open a for-profit business in Vietnam because they don't recognize animal shelters as or animal rights organizations as a legitimate nonprofit organization. So we had to basically finagle this. There's a lot of a lot of finagling, a lot of finagling in Vietnam. Um, so like what would they classify as a nonprofit organization? Like is it only like human and yeah, environmental? Basically people, 
exactly it's basically dealing with say like human trafficking or poverty or disaster relief or something like that and and as an international organization as well because we're all mostly foreigners i mean i we, we do have vietnamese staff as well but um the directors are um a foreigner so we do have to we have a lot of different laws we've got a lot of different rules that the vietnamese don't have to deal with and it's going to cost us another you know, six, seven thousand dollars to be registered as an international non-governmental non organization in Vietnam, which, yeah, we don't have that. We can't cough that cash up. I'm gonna have to take out a credit card or something. Or, <laughs> so when you, you know, assassinate host... a world leader. All right, you heard it here first, everyone. Um, when you, <laughs> <laughs> when I know you... you're in DC, I outed myself here. Yeah, yeah, they're always listening. This place is tapped. So when you. Okay, I'm, I'm just rereading all of the information that you sent because I think it's all really interesting. So, okay, first of all, how do you fundraise in Vietnam? Like, are there community members that come out at like two, because in DC or like in the States, mm -hmm. we could have like a fundraising breakfast or an auction or blah, blah, blah. Right. I assume it's not the you same You can see thing. them yeah. face to face and people give you money and they trust you because yeah. you're in the room with them. You're legitimate because you sound like them and look like them and we speak the same language and you're you're in the same neighborhood. Mm -hmm. They can come to the organization if you want. Yeah, the idea of fundraising in the United States is a cakewalk. Yeah. If you have an organization in the United States, I am extremely jealous of people that live with that luxury. I'd say about 85% of our funding comes from the United States. Um, however, <laughs> most of those Americans have never been to Vietnam. So I'm, as an American that hasn't lived here for 15 years, has very few connections in the country, um, like really is so disconnected from this place that I sound like them. I, I look like them, I'm super loud like them. And, you know, I, I maintain a permanent residence in this country up until now, actually, but um, it's, that's how we're gonna get the money, right? It's gonna be from Americans. Most Americans cannot, tell you anything about Vietnam they haven't seen on a Stanley Kubrick movie about mm -hmm. the war. They can tell you what pl platoon was like or full metal jacket, but they don't know anything about the geography. They don't know anything about the culture. They don't know anything about the food that they didn't get at the, you know, at Publix and the, you know, whatever, like a, a summer roll or something. They think being Vietnamese, they know nothing and they, they don't care, frankly. Mm -hmm. It's very monolithic to Americans. Um, I very frequently want to, um, you know, put my head through a brick wall when speaking to Americans about Vietnam and my job there. I hate it, but this is the cash cow, unfortunately. And do you do like online fundraisers yes. or and like grant writing or something? Yeah, all the time. Try being a foreign organization working with animals as vegans with more than dogs and cats in a country even as a 501c3, it doesn't matter where people don't really trust anybody, frankly. I mean, it's it's almost impossible to get a grant. Getting grants has been extremely difficult for us. Um, you know, I mean, I wasn't even in the States for three and a half years, basically. So I didn't get to do a lot of face-to-face -face fundraising with Americans. Mm -hmm. um, like all of our fundraising's online. We get a lot more from the UK um, now. I spend a lot more time in the UK than I do in, in um, the United States for sure. Um, and so, you know, and I think they're, they're much more likely to go to Vietnam as well. 
Viet- Americans don't go anywhere. You know, we'll go to the Bahamas or Aruba and we're like, yeah, I've seen the world. You haven't seen diddly sweet pea. Yeah. But, you know, thanks for trying, but we don't have the vacation time to deal with a, you know, a 12 hour time zone difference mm-hmm. because I mean, you're a zombie when you land. Yeah. You're not on holiday for a week. You've got to sleep for a week, then you hang out for a month, and then you get on a plane and do it again when you get home. So there's a lot of challenges. We all we have is 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 the yeah internet, crowdfunding, PayPal, social media is our main source of fundraising, and it's simply not enough. Do you have a volu- like volunteer opportunities at the shelter at the rescue? Yeah, so we used to have volunteers um, for a long time, um, and I frankly deeply regret it. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> the type of volunteers that will end up in Southeast Asia are are basically 20-year-olds that are going to nine cities to get as drunk as possible away from their parents and to find out how many strains of chlamydia they can get oh in God. a week. And and I'm just not really, like, this is my full-time job. I do it seven days a week. I do it 14 hours a day. I'm not really interested in hearing how drunk you got in, yeah. in, in Playco. It's not, I'm not interested. <laughs> uh, and they just, they don't really buckle down. None have any experience. Um, you know, local volunteers don't have the experience with animals, much less the time off. Volunteering is something you get to do because you're rich. Yeah. Just because you're rich doesn't mean you know anything about animals, much less how to drive a motorbike, how to watch things die for a living, how to deal with a veterinarian that doesn't believe in sedation when doing a cesarean section, right? These are things that like your average Joe Schmo kid who's like in a backpack to Southeast Asia so he can like find himself or whatever isn't going to be able to do. I pay my staff. They deserve it. They -hmm. work their tushes off for what they do. And they, they're really, really in a very traumatic situation all the time. Mm-hmm. The idea that somebody should do that for free is insane. Mm-hmm. And I've had so many people tell me I shouldn't have a salary at all. I make $500 a month. I've got a master's degree and $200,000 in student loans. I make $500 a month saving animals in Vietnam. People tell me I don't deserve that. So volunteering, yeah, look, do it in other places. Mm-hmm. But it's not... <laughs> It's, this is a profession. It's not something that you really want people that love kittens um, to come and do. Well, I'm glad that you are being so real on Do Good, Feel Good. You haven't, it doesn't sound like there's a lot of feel good here with the Do Good, but I know we'll eventually get into it. There's good feelings. The food's amazing. Yeah. And like, that's good. Yes, that is so good. Um, So I, you touched on this a little bit, but I could you talk a little about the importance of actually paying nonprofit staff? Because I'm also very passionate about this. I work oh. the nonprofit sphere as well. Um, like one thing that I want to quickly yeah. say is that people assume that all funding for a nonprofit should go to direct service or like direct to, to like if it's with house building, you should those right. supplies should be going towards right. like habitats. Yeah, yeah. But sure. also like Who coordinates what about- that. Yeah, and don't you want to have like someone experienced to advocate mm-hmm. the policies that you support? So yeah. I feel the same way, but you can, you can play a little. Freaking lutely. Oh my God. This is, this is my, like, I am so driven to get this message out. 
Um, I'm absolutely sick and tired of people thinking that in order to do good, you should be able to do it for free. And that anybody that works their butts off doing something that is a professional business, it is a professional job to know how to do the things that we do. And it takes years and years and years of cumulative case management experience to not suck at it. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying do good at it, just to not be an absolute failure at it, right? Mm -hmm. So how long am I supposed to do that? with no money. Yeah. I can't tell you the number of times that it was a choice of me eating or the animals eating in eight years. I've never been able to pay myself my full salary at the beginning of the month. Yeah. And people think that's okay. They want to call me a hero. Yeah. Well, your emoticon on my social media didn't pay for my lunch princess. Yeah. I'm going to need a little more than that. I didn't have health insurance for years. By the way, I drive a motorcycle in Vietnam and go after animal abusers. Do you think I don't need health care, right? And this is true across the United States. It's not just a Vietnam problem, but like people really undervalue people that do good. Mm -hmm. And what happens is we've lost that cumulative knowledge. Yeah, case management isn't a joke. You need lots of it. This is hard, whether you're doing habitats for humanity or cleaning floors in the shelter up the road in North Carolina, right? It is hard work. You got to get good at it over time. Yeah. You can't get time if you can't eat, if you can't feed your family or have a real life or have a day off. Yeah. If you and can't if, take a vacation or have health care. And if what you nonsense. have, if you have these skills that you've been channeling and all this education, you can go to a for-profit company and get paid like four times as much. But people are making a decision to work for a nonprofit because they care. Exactly. I mean, like the idea that I'm doing this because I'm not capable or intelligent enough of doing anything else is absurd. And I would say that for most of the people working in my industry, a lot of them have left profitable industries, which I never did, frankly. I I was in school, I went to American University, degree in international relations, and and I it took me nine years to graduate because my parents wouldn't pay for it. They wouldn't help me at all. I was living in my car in a parking garage in DC just trying to survive, you know? I mean, like I literally was starving to death to get my education. I get out of school and I think I'm gonna just work at the UN because that's what the American system tells you is that you're gonna spend 36 grand a year on school and somebody's just gonna pull you up. But yep. The reality is if you want to do good, that's not going to happen. So I've always just flitted around the world in what, I don't know, 70 something ish countries, or I don't even know now, whatever, a lot, I get around and, and I've learned a lot of things, but that doesn't seem to be valuable to anybody. And, and I know this to be true for other people doing my exact same job that are also just pretty much never going to pay a student loan payment and yeah. <laughs> just start running away. And I really think it's unfortunate. How am I supposed to recruit people for 500 bucks a month? Yeah. Well, listeners, some of y'all are involved in nonprofits. Get creative and send her some solutions. You can email her. You can tweet at her. I'd love to be able to eat every day. It sounds fun. I've seen it on TV, you know, I mean. Well, okay. So let's touch on what you're doing now since you're not physically in Vietnam. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I mean, recent, about three years ago, I actually had a herniated disc and I've had to spend, and I had all these heart problems and stomach ulcers and things from the stress and the nonstop work, not having any days off or being able to eat on a regular basis. So what happened was I left three years ago. So I've learned how to work remotely part of the year. So I've been doing, basically I pet sit in Europe for a couple months 
and then um and like wait till my back stops wanting me to die and then i get on a plane and i come home unless there's emergency or staff changeovers and then and then i do that oh no in so many ibuprofen that i'm peeing blood and then i get on a plane and i do it again so the organization itself can i so my job is fundraising social media uh human resource recruitment and managing cases i mean i'm awake now from you know i'm awake until lunchtime in vietnam and then i get up you know five six o'clock in the morning so that i could again be on their time zone so that any cases that come up anything that happens i'm available for because you know like i said it's pretty much impossible to get staff that have this case management experience and understand things like intake yeah. and dealing with the locals and local veterinarians and processes so I'm really crazy busy on weird time zones. I, I really, it's horrible. <laughs> the organization continues to do most of our work offsite. We do a lot of community outreach for, or for animals that people in the public have brought to our attention. Um, and then we get them to an international vet run by a rival organization. I say rival because they're a welfareist and they'll happily eat half the species in my animal shelter. So I don't have to be friends with them. Drama. Um, I'm just kidding. What's that? Drama. But it's little, actually little, little bit of drama. Um, I, just because we love animals doesn't mean we all do it the same way. They do it with dead bodies in their mouths. And I think that's a bit odd. So, so but they're my vet. And um, we go ahead and, you know, bring animals there. We have to raise the funds for that. We've got to do all the media images and all of this stuff to, to put those packages together. Um, then you got to thank all the donors. You got to run all the software, the accounting, the taxes. Mm -hmm. I, it's running a business. I do what every, but every other business owner does, just sitting on my computer and probably this year less with pants and a bra than most, <laughs> you know, I mean, like, I know, I know in April, we all gave up on bras yeah. and pants. So sure. I'm not alone. It's fine. For sure. So do you get paid as a, as a um, pet sitter? No, but they I get, get a they place to live and I have a cat to sleep on my head and that's pretty much my payment. Um, and do you know the people who you're sitting for? No. Is there like, do you use a website and they find you? Cause it's crazy for you to yes. fly across the country and then be like, here I am. Like, yeah, across the world, generally. The world, I mean, world. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, I go quite far. This is the first time I've pet sit in the United States. It's for a website called trustishoutsitters.com. I'm not being paid for saying that. Um, I love be. them so much. They're the only reason I actually have a roof over my head most of the time because I'm either living in my animal shelter where I've lived for eight years or I'm living under somebody's roof with somebody else's animals so that they could take a holiday I could never afford. And I just sit on my computer and use their Wi Fi snuggle their animals that's my that's my life but but basically my office is all over the world i mean like anybody that's a digital nomad and i, I don't like to use that term because it makes it sound like i like make a living from this yeah. i eat buy <laughs> i subsist um but yeah i'm internationally homeless i think is more the appropriate term but uh it's not bad it's not superb but it's not it's not horrible i you know i mean i i get to do it in paris and glasgow and oslo and middle of nowhere italy like i'm going to on saturday and it's it's an okay life it's a bit lonely yeah obviously. i'm sure like it's fun to meet people along the way but 
like then you yeah, but everybody's temporary yeah you know, everybody's a moving landscape but yeah so, for sure so have you ever and, done and, but I mean honestly in this in this entire industry it's very it's physically isolating it's emotionally isolating yeah um, nobody wants to have dinner with you after you've buried the bodies on the way to to the restaurant you know I mean that's kind of that you just don't really it's hard to make friends and it's definitely even harder than that to get laid (laughs) there's a lot of good audio clips that i could like (laughs) snip from this that people would be like what is this episode about what are you talking about it's impossible to get laid in an animal shelter fact okay i'm can i i'm gonna clip that for a you can quote me on that okay (laughs) it's true people can email me i'll explain why yeah email her so I feel like people after hearing this may contact you because they may have some side hustles you can do virtually to get a little bit of extra money because you do have a a very interesting um, story and you say it in like a comedic way. So I I have to laugh out the tears, man. I gotta laugh out the tears. It's a, it's a weird life, but I, I'm working on a book right now that I'd like to get done over the summer, um, talking more a little bit about how the organization started. And are you self-publishing? No, I'm very much like an actual publisher. I need to eat. So yeah, that's a big deal for me. Food is good. Yes. Self-publishing is not a necessarily the fastest way to a full belly, you know? So how are you going to get it published then? Um, I'm going to have to send it to a publisher. Okay. Uh, you know, I gotta finish the manuscript. I'm, tr- I'm okay. Everyone listening, this is a side note. Sorry, you have to hear this conversation, but I'm working, I've been working on publishing a children's book oh, and yeah. it is the craziest, like it's been such a process because I am self-publishing because I don't think anyone will yeah. buy it. And I also like impulsively bought 10 ISBNs one day. So I'm like, <laughs> I have to do this now. Yeah. Now um, you're in. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I'm working on that. Um, maybe we can do a collab on the next book because it's about like this. All right. This is the first time you guys are hearing about this. This is such <laughs> a crazy deal, but it's Sneak this peak. Yeah. This girl, like first she's feeling depressed because everything happening in the world. And then her parents are like, this is how we feel better. And they talk about service, which based on this episode mm-hmm. might not sound like that happy of an experience, but sometimes <laughs> it is. And then I want the series to end up talking about like different societal issues so maybe we could do one on animals and then we definitely. can collab definitely can kids need to understand a lot about it too I think I think there's not enough books explaining that you know there's a lot of books about animals but not about how like we should not um, personify them and then put their dead bodies in our mouths while killing yeah. 2.8 trillion a year for no good reason yeah that sounds so. like the, a great description for a children's book <laughs> get those dead bodies out of your mouth yeah um, exactly enjoy your corpse yeah, yeah. I know I'm not always very child friendly I do clean up the f word sometimes well you could maybe do the adult like accompanying book that the adults read on the side oh yeah that's important okay definitely perfect Perfect. so all right you guys you heard it here first we have another business venture coming out (laughs) a collab in a few years based on how long this thing is taking me and I'm sure well my dad wrote books that took him 20 years and it's just Ugh. I need to get it done by September because I seriously will actually, you know, look like I came out of a concentration camp by then. It's not really, <laughs> it's, it's a desperate thing. Okay. Well, <laughs> I have faith in you. Thank you. Thank you. Now it's time to talk about something happy. 
So we, so what would you say? I feel like you've said quite a few shit corners. We used to have this segment called shit corner and inner sickle. So like you would talk about something shitty that happened to you recently, and then you say something good. Right. Um, but you could talk about something shitty that's happened to you personally recently. Yeah. Or you could talk about a good aspect of the organization that you found it. Like that's a very aspirational thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think, I think people miss the fact that the reason I do this job is because I am delusionally optimistic and <laughs> it, it takes that constant daily attachment to tiny little beautiful moments in order to survive it. You take those, you take that tail wag, that one tail wag from an animal that probably is going to die in like 20 minutes, but you got like a, you got a wag out of it and you put that on a pedestal. You put it up there, you hang on to it, you breathe it in, you sit on it, you just like, you just live in that tail wag and then, and, and then you go bury the other bodies in the freezer um, before you, you go out for drowning yourself in alcohol and Xanax so that you can sleep through the night. But I don't do that anymore. I'm just saying like, <laughs> whatever. Anyway, the point is there is always something good. And, mm-hmm. and you know, mostly it's very difficult for me to do my job without being in Vietnam, because when I'm in Vietnam, I can go out for, you know, before I go to bed, I make out with my chicken, you know, (laughs) Louise and I, we have snuggles and I love kissing my chicken, even though she's kind of like really serious. She's a business chicken, Mm -hmm. but I think she kind of digs it or she tolerates it. So that's my beautiful thing. Um, Juju bear, my, my son pig, he's a 400 pound pig named Julian. Um, I raised him from a baby and he'll lay in my lap and Mm. he'll, you know, he's heavy. It's not great, but I appreciate the sentiment. And, um, you know, we go and we watch, um, you know, we eat fruit together. I bite these little, I get these little like rambutans and things, these little fruits that you guys don't have here and you have to bite the pit out of it. And then you, and he sits for his treats. Imagine a 400 pound pig sitting and then we sit in the kitchen together and we listen to like Stephen Colbert or something really liberal and we eat fruit together. So like happy things are there. They're just sandwiched between, um, you know, suffocating horror and yeah, preventable suffering and death that you just can't really affect because you don't have the resources. You don't, you don't have the money, the vets, the humans, you know? Yes. But you so- have fruit with a pig that sits. So, you know, making out with chickens. And not everyone gets to experience that. Exactly. Poor bastards. I mean, you really have it made based on all I (laughs) do. He did stab me in the face once, I want to point out. And his tusk went through my um, cheek. And I had 20 stitches at 11 o'clock at night. (laughs) Uh, But I love him. That pigs had tusk. So I'm really learning a lot. He was quite tired of me um, kissing him and turning the lights on and I'd had a really bad day and he <laughs> accidentally sense, yeah. smacked me in the face with his head while standing up trying to avoid me and get away from me and uh, his tusk went through my face. Yeah, Not a I had huge this, like, fan giant of that. flap of skin hanging down. It's a bit gory, you know. So um, it's obviously worth it or you wouldn't do it because you, yeah. you're clearly smart and you could get a job and pay off your student debt, even though 
I mean, that's just a whole other conversation. Well, that's all a sham. This whole student debt. Thing. <laughs> just, yeah, no. I mean, I, I, I would like to believe that. I'm, I have eight years of a on my resume that says basically what everybody thinks. Like I said, is I roll around on beaches with kittens. Yeah, and they don't seem to think that my job it is a sector of international development. Which, I mean, like I'm obsessed with food security. I'm obsessed with alternative livelihoods and, you know, carbon sequestration through seaweed farming and all of these things that are very much related to an animal rights organization. It's about the environment. It's about human health. It's about animals. Um, it's about zoonotic diseases. I could go on about zoonotic diseases until I'm, you know, until you're blue in the face. It wouldn't take long. It's not exciting. But <laughs> the idea is that they look at that on my on my resume or my CV, and it doesn't say to them that I can do anything, even though I know that that little person in HR wouldn't live through two hours of my day and yeah. not want to kill herself. So, I mean, it's, I don't, I, it may be possible, but that there's no way out of this for me other than being able to use my voice and my, my writing as an advocate for helping people understand how the animal rescue world and animal advocacy in general has really failed to address any aspect of animal suffering in a sustainable way. And I know that because I've been in the trenches. I've been in the trenches. I've got the blood on my hands. It's, you know, it's like, you know, like they call permadirt. I don't know if you've ever worked on farms, mm -mm. but like when you work with horses and stuff, you get like dirt that's in oh, your yeah, fingers yeah. that doesn't ever come out, <laughs> right? It takes like a year for it to come out of your skin. That's the blood. It's oh, I knew you were going to say that. It's like, don't it's say awful. blood. It's awful. Um, and it, it, it is devastating and compassion fatigue isn't a joke. And I, I'm grateful to the many failures I've had. Mm -hmm. And I want to be able to use that to talk. And if I'm sitting in an office somewhere in Geneva, if, you know, if I were to get that magical hundred grand a year UN job, I'd be miserable. And this, these eight years of horror would be lost. And I don't want that. I went through them for something. Mm -hmm. I went through them for a lot. And I absolutely am going to take this as my armor. And, yes. and I need people need to, people need to know people need to know that there's a better way to do this. I feel like you're going to learn a lot from this. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to be honest. We don't have so. 500 million listeners, but yeah, we've got some, and I think this is going to be super inspiring. <laughs> I hope so. And I hope so, but nobody's ever going to have sex in an animal shelter listening to this. And that's important. That's actually the whole reason we brought you here today. We wanted to talk about the dangers of having sex in an animal shelter. And <laughs> it's rough. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay so real quick because we're running out of time um what oh yeah what is something that you want people to do like a challenge going forward in the next week it can be something about animals it could be giving you their money whatever your heart desires um you know i i'm i probably one of the reasons that we have no money is because i'm horrible at asking for it i mean obviously giving me money would be great Yes. Um, I, I mean, obviously that's a big help. We've got a lot of really huge bills um, and they're horrifying um, and, and they keep me awake at night. But I think ultimately in everybody's individual life, we have the opportunity every single day to stop harming animals on our own. And that is probably the best thing about my job as a vegan, as an animal rights activist. I don't consume or use animals for anything at all. 
And in spite of the 2.8 trillion animals killed every year in the sea and on land, I'm not part of it. So my challenge to everybody is always to stop using animals. I mean, and I'm not gonna be, I'm not into reductionist whatever. The idea that one needs animal products to live is insane. I've done a, an Ironman triathlon. I run marathons, trail marathons. Like, look, I'm not, I'm not starving. I live my life trying to lose 20 pounds all the time. Look, you can stop eating animals. You're going to be fine. Right. And, and I think if people on a daily basis acknowledge that participating in somebody's suffering is a bit of a shit thing to do, then I think that's a good start. Oh, and Spain st sterilize their, Spain spay neuter their animals, definitely. Adopt, don't shop, all of the hashtags. I've okay. got to throw those out. This was supposed to be one week's challenge. So the people can't- <laughs> This is life. Okay. Yeah. Forget the week. Do this right. Okay. So, but for going forward for the week, it's like people need to live with an understanding. Can you just- S Summarize yes. Can yes. I be concise? <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's my challenge concise and <laughs> um, i would say yeah go vegan that's my that's okay. my sentence one week you guys don't be little bitches you can do it for one oh, week she's been doing it for how many years eight years eight years i went vegan in vietnam yeah so and i've done it in 70 countries so i'm pretty sure you could work it out yeah don't even tell us that you don't have vegan options where you live that might have been true in like 1999 yeah it's absurd I, I can't take that as an excuse. That's nonsense. All right. Yeah, absolute nonsense. <laughs> tag us. You can tag Vietnam Animal Aid on Instagram when you tag mm -hmm. us your vegan food that you make. Yeah. There's so much good vegan food porn on Instagram. Yeah. I'm addicted to it. If I'm awake at two in the morning, it's scrolling through food. It's mm. so messed up. No, food is not messed up. I love it. What else, how else can people contact you? Or what else would you like people to know before we hop off? And also, right, this so, has been an amazing episode. I really think thank so. you. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I really do enjoy chatting with people. Like I said, it's an extremely isolating job, both emotionally and physically in my life. And I'm always happy to meet people around the world. Um, and now we can do some fully vaccinated, of course. So, um, you know, if anybody's in Italy, I'm down for a down for a Chianti. But um, but I would also say, go ahead and you know, chit chat with me. I'm always happy to talk to people online. Um, on you know, look, I hate the Twitterverse. It makes me want to murder suicide my day. But I, if you want to talk to me there, do it. If you want to email me, cat at vietnampetsandvets.com. Check out our website. Uh, check out our socials. They're all over the place. And yeah, I would just say try to read my blog as well. I write a lot about more and um, more the professional side of things and kind of how there's some challenges that we really need to address in animal rescue on my blog. Um, go to Medium. It's cat hyphen besh. I I don't even know those dot <laughs> medium dot commerce. I don't know whatever, but it's cat besh. So just try and dig a little bit deeper. You know, I would say, and, and I'm always happy to chat. And we are, I'm going to link to all of these websites and socials and the info of the cast. I'm mm -hmm. looking now at your link tree and I see that there's also like an Amazon wish list. Oh yeah. So do, does Amazon deliver to the rescue? 
no so the amazon does not yeah that's one of the weird joys i get in in the states i get to have stuff at my door in a day yeah um no it takes weeks um i just sent something by ship actually yesterday it'll be there in a month and amazon will send to our business address in alabama where we are a registered um, wow nonprofit, and then it ends up at my sister's and then my 80 year old mother has to put it on a um put it on a ups truck but it gets there. It always does. She will okay. keep her busy. Keep my mom yeah, busy. Honestly, Send us stuff. Since she didn't visit you, this is her way to visit. Ever. Kind of. 15 her- years, the woman never visited me out of the country. Never came to any of these cool places. Poland, France, Netherlands, Mongolia. None of these places. So yeah, she's got to send stuff to me. Yeah. <laughs> you heard it here. She loves it. First as well. Okay. Yeah, she. it is fun. It's like her way of giving back and she connects with you. Like she's like, I'm the only one that will send you this. So therefore I have a little yeah. bit of power over you still. Yeah, I know. It's hilarious. <laughs> okay. She's this adorable. has been a, like a super entertaining episode. So I really appreciate you coming on. Um, thank you. I'm always happy for podcasts and chit chat. I forgot to say, what is your life mission statement? Oh my gosh. Jeez. You got all these concise needs. You know, (laughs) I think ultimately I would like to know as much as I can about preventing exploitation and harm to others, to vulnerable beings and being able to be heard in that message. That is really what I want. I want to know something and I want it to be worth listening to. When I grow up, whenever that may be. (laughs) Well, I definitely think that you're worth listening to. So thank you for using your voice. Thank you. Bye everyone.